Good morning. Um, I was sitting over there during worship, and I don't know why I feel prompted to ask you this. Um, and this sounds like a really dumb question because you're sitting here, right? Do you want to hear from God today? And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying do you want to hear from Heath because whatever about that. Do you want to hear from God? If you want to hear from God, um, I encourage you, we're gonna, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we're going to get into today, and then we're going to pray. And when we're praying, I encourage you, any time you're in the Word, whether it be in a group setting or before you open your Bible, is to ask God to speak. Because anticipation is one main way that we get something out of what God wants to do. If we don't think He's going to do anything, we'll probably get exactly what we're thinking. But if we believe that God wants to and desires to speak to us, and we ask, and He says we don't have because we don't ask, I think God wants to speak. So, here we go. Do you think God has a plan for you? And this is not Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Promise? I believe he does. Whether you do or not, I think you're in this room because God wants his children to know what he wants you to do. He wants you to love and follow him, which we see all throughout the gospel. And we're going to be in Luke 11 here in just a second. But check these out. Um, Psalms 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. He does it as we surrender and submit to Him. I believe that the best way to know God's plan, and here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that God, at the end of service, is going to give you this booklet that's going to say the rest of your days. And you flip to page one, go to lunch here. You flip to page two, go to work on Monday. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I believe that God has divinely orchestrated all of the things in your life to have you facilitate exactly what he needs you to do in part of his kingdom work. God put me in this room, but it wasn't my plan. I did not intend to plant a church ever. It was never on my to-do list. There was never a dream board in my office that said, plant a church. And while you're at it, move to Leland, which I didn't know what Leland was. 15 years ago. But I believe as I would surrender to what God had for me, God led me to this city to plant this church. Almost nine years later, we're still here, which is an achievement, whether you know it or not. Most churches last about two years after planting. Five years is a huge milestone, and we're still rolling. So all during COVID, people asked how the church was going, and my major statement was, we're still here. We'll leave it there. So today, 
I'm going to have a, an interesting spectrum of a story, um, all starting in the end of uh, Luke 9 and going through the middle of Luke 10. Luke was a, a doctor that was um, given this task, whether willingly or asked to, to document what happened in the life and ministry of Je- Jesus so that he could share with this person that asked him to give an account of what Jesus did. It was a very detailed list of what's going on. And here's my one thing that I want you to hear and hear clearly. And it's going to sound funny, and if you're familiar with Luke 9, you'll know exactly what I'm going to start with. My one thing is that you probably shouldn't call down fire. You probably shouldn't. That's a strong probably shouldn't. You shouldn't call down fire. So we're going to pray before we get in the Word, and this is that moment that you say, hey God, I want you to speak to me. So let's pray. Jesus, I know that you desire for us to know you and be loved by you and to surrender to your will and to your purpose because it is our place of greatest satisfaction. So as we look through this narrative, I pray that you would allow us to see ourselves in it, that you would allow conviction to move us to repentance, that you would allow us to desire to know your heart so that we can move and function in this world to serve you and your kingdom. But we need to hear from you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The beginning of Luke 9 starts with Jesus sending out 12. We're going to talk about Jesus sending out 72. But before he sends out the 72, he sends out his 12 to go into the places and he gives them specific instructions and they go and do exactly what he asks them to do. It was a good trip. It was a good journey. Right after that, Jesus questions his disciples about who people say that he is. This is where Peter made his bold proclamation that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. This was, of course, before the denial and all that other stuff. But he got who Jesus was. He just wasn't fully committed to the narrative that Jesus put forward. He also tells them in this narrative that they should take up your cross. If you're going to follow me, then take up your cross and follow me. And then we get into Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And verse 51 starts like this. It says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, talking about Jesus, when the days drew near for him to go to the cross and do fulfill what his mission was, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, and when they entered into the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. The Samaritans, just in case you're unfamiliar, the Samaritans were a half-breed. So all throughout the Old Testament, God had said, do not intermingle, stay with your people, because your heart will be pulled away from me, just like it was for Solomon when he married all of the wives. 
But the Samaritans were Jews that intermarried with the people in the surrounding areas, and the Jews hated them. Hated them so much so that they would avoid walking anywhere near their towns, going way out of the way to make sure that they would not come into any contact with them at all. Not Jesus. And Jesus, uh, in another story, makes the Samaritan a hero, which would be unheard of of any rabbi telling a people, hearing truth, that the Samaritan was the one who did the right thing, not the religious people who passed by the hurt person. Verse 53, it says, But the people did not receive him. So they went into the town to prepare a place for Jesus to stay overnight on his way to Jerusalem, but the people in the city wouldn't take them in, would not allow them to stay because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So one thing that you need to know, the potential reason why they weren't too keen on Jesus staying there, one, they had been abused by Jews for a long time, so they had their conception of what Jews thought and felt about them. But also they believed that where you worshipped was where they were, not in Jerusalem. So part of their tension may be going that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, the true place, which is against their narrative, and they were frustrated by it. We don't really know why, but it could be a potential. And then the most odd thing happens. So Jesus, prior to this, has been rejected by lots of people. When they went to um, the other side of the sea right after the ship almost sank, and they said, why don't you care enough for us? We are perishing. They landed on the other side, and he healed a demoniac. And what did the people do? They asked him to leave. There were cities that Jesus was preaching in that they ran him out of the village. One so that they took him up to a hillside, going to throw him over, and he just walked through the crowd. Now, how he did that, I am not sure. But I'm sure it was amazing. And in verse 54, And when the disciples James and John, the sons of thunder, saw it, they said, Lord, (laughs) do you want us to tell fire, tell fire, to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus is their rabbi. Guess what Jesus has never done in all of his ministry in front of James and John? Called down fire on anyone. Now you may be asking yourself, then why would they do this? Well, they, like good Jews, knew the Old Testament. They had read the stories in 2 Kings of Elijah doing the same thing when he sat up on the mountain and the guard came out to call Elijah to come to talk to the king and the first two groups, <laughs> he says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and destroy you. And those two groups, guess what happened? Fire came down and destroyed them. The third group <laughs> saw the burnt bodies of the other ones are like, if you, if you value our lives, they very humbly came to him. And, of course, he went. The Holy Spirit told him to go. But they probably read that and they're like, yeah, we're going to show our dedication to the Lord because we must defend him. Let me just tell you, Jesus does not be, need to be defended. And if you've seen The Chosen, which I highly recommend, I love that Peter's constantly trying to protect Jesus like he's the bodyguard. Hey, hey. And Jesus is like, 
Okay, Peter. Yes. Okay. Verse 55. But he turned to them and rebuked them. And they went to another village. Why did Jesus rebuke them? He had set his face towards Jerusalem. What was he going to Jerusalem to do? He was going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for everyone. So they would have the ability to know, serve, and love Jesus. Why on his way to save the world would Jesus desire to destroy this village who he was, had a heart for? We see this over and over and over again. Because that was not his heart. Right after this, watch the difference between these two. What James and John wanted to do for Jesus and what Jesus asked them to do. So in chapter 10, starting in verse 1, this is where he sends out the 72. It says, after the Lord appointed 72 others. Note to self, Jesus traveled with more than his 12. You wonder why constantly there were Pharisees amongst them. There was all kinds of people, people that followed him, people that wanted to spy on him. There were people around Jesus everywhere. And he sent them out ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself were about to go. Not just the twelve anymore. He sends them ahead to prepare the way. This was a big verse for reach. We're not here to do anything more than to prepare a way for people to hear the gospel. They weren't even preaching the gospel. They were just proclaiming that Jesus was coming, giving testimony who he was, so that when they came, they were ready, just like I asked you at the beginning of this, they were ready to hear from Jesus. Here's maybe a convicting statement. Are the people in your circle ready for Jesus? After knowing you, would they give Jesus an opportunity? There's days in my life that people that I encounter, typically when I'm on the phone with people, ask my wife, I don't know why. She's like, you didn't sound very nice. Usually I'm frustrated at the reason I'm calling because something isn't working or blah, blah, blah. She's like, you should be more nice. But after knowing you, are they willing to give Jesus an opportunity? And this is, and I said it exactly the way it is, because it is not your job. Hear this. Let it free you. It is not your job to save anyone. It is just your job to prepare a way for Jesus to do what he came to do, which was transform lives. But our problem, and this is, hopefully you hear this, Our problem is most people at the end of the day want nothing to do with Jesus because they've met us. Because of that bad moment. Because of that, you know, sticker on the back of your car. I've really struggled with giving out reach stickers, which we have them. Because some of you 
shouldn't have them on the back of your car. <laughs> Some of you, I heard, uh, I think it was Chuck Swindoll say one time about the Jesus fish. He's like, I don't put them in the back of my car. Not because I don't love Jesus. He's because I don't want, I said, I'm a good driver. I'm very cautious. He's like, but that one time you don't pay attention and you pull in front of somebody or you do something, I don't want them to go, this is why I don't like Jesus. He's followers. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing that brings out the like in me than getting in a car. I don't know why. I got to listen to more worship music or something. So he sends out to 72 to prepare the way. And listen what he says to them in verse 2. It said, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, which I think was true then and is true now. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Remember, and not out of this, but remember when Jesus talked about the, the plants. It, we prepare the ground. We may plant the seed, but who brings the growth? The farmer is not sitting there going, mm, corn grow. They just do the work. They're the laborers. And then when the time for harvest comes, they go out. And what do they do? They harvest. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. And then he gives them instructions. He says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out. <laughs> Listen to this. I am sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. He tells them exactly what to do. He gives them instructions. And when they obey his instructions, something happens. He didn't give James and John instructions. Hey, the next time we're disrespected, I want you to call down fire. He didn't tell them that. But we, some of us, live our life using Facebook as a place that we call down fire. Or Instagram or Twitter. I don't really do all those other things. Snapchat, maybe. <laughs> and listen to this. This is the comment. And I'm not going to read all of what he goes into there because I got something else I want you to say here. What he's telling them is to trust me with the outcome and your care in between. He's telling them, just like God did with the exiles as they wandered through the desert, as he prepared a meal for them every day, I will provide. It may not be what you desire. We saw, like, we want some meat. But the truth is, and what Jesus has done from the beginning, is be satisfied with what I give you. Most of our destruction comes when we aren't satisfied but with what God is giving us and we covet, kill, and destroy to have the things that won't satisfy us either. And then in between, sandwiched in between these, you hear these people that come to Jesus saying, hey, I want to follow you. And he says, well, he says to them, follow me. And they give him all these lame excuses like, I've got a field. 
I've got to go bury my father, which his father's not dead, or he would not be wandering around. His father is near death, and he's probably waiting for his inheritance to be delivered. And if he's not there, he may not get it. And they give all these excuses why in that moment they could not follow Jesus. Sandwiched in between there, none of these things are haphazardly thrown in. And then we get to Luke um, 10, verse 17, and they return. So the 72 have gone out. They were obedient to Jesus. They did what Jesus asked them to do and watch. He said the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And let me just tell you, and I know you guys are like maybe a little freaked out when you talk about demons. But the demons are still subject to his name. The demons didn't go away. They just changed their means of bombarding you. A great percentage of the miracles that Jesus did were what? Casting out demons. Do you think those demons left? When he says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, we're at war. He's telling them, don't get distracted or cocky. I think sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us as believers is that we be successful in something for the Lord. Think about that. I didn't praise the Lord for a long time of our meager beginnings at Reach because I was frustrated because I thought I was obedient. I moved to the city. This church is going to blow up. Hear me. I praise God now that we didn't. I praise God now for the people that we have in this room, regardless of what they are, how many they are, because, to be completely honest, if in the first two or three years we had skyrocketed, you know who would have suffered? Me. Because my soul was not ready for that. I would have been like, yep, Heath. I mean, (laughs) I have my own issues, okay? I'm just being a little transparent here. I needed those years of lean, ground-preparing work for me to become conscious of what he does, which is what we're going to see here in just a second. It is his work, not mine. If we would have been really good at the beginning and our numbers went and our salvations were out and we were baptizing people, I would have, been, I would have become a cocky, arrogant heath. Look how amazing a job I do. And let me tell you, the first four years, I got none of that. None of that. I got a lot of, I don't know that I'm supposed to be here. But I hung in there because I felt very specific that God called us to this city for this purpose. But I think some of the most dangerous things that can happen to us at times is too much success in the things of God. Even in your war against your own flesh. People can become so cocky and so arrogant about how good they're doing in the category of whatever. 
man, I've beat that porn addiction. I've beat that drug addiction. I've beat, and you just list these things and look how good I am. And I think we forget that it had nothing to do with us. And now it takes work on your end, but any freedom that you've experienced comes at the cost of the blood of Jesus. I know in Corinthians it says, be wary when you believe you're standing on solid ground that you don't fall. That's for free. That's not even in my notes. For free. Some of you need to hear that. Maybe just me. Verse 18. I love how Jesus like, let's, let's get the little needle. Let's deflate this a little bit. And he said to them, because they're like, demons are subject to us. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Been here from the beginning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Here's a question for you. Whose power and whose authority? His, not yours. You want to know how you overcome things? It is not by your strength. It is not by your might. It is by surrendering to the one who has the power and has the authority. And then he tells them in verse 20 what they need to be rejoicing in. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If your joy is coming from your goodness, it will destroy you. Because it is not your goodness. If your joy is coming from the reality that right now, here in this moment, regardless of yesterday, you are loved by God because your trust and faith and belief in what He's done for you on the cross and that you still need His grace, it changes everything. Rejoice in the miracle of salvation. And a question, because we're post-resurrection Sunday is are you still living with that knowledge that that resurrection matters to you today as much as it did last Sunday? So here we go. Why am I telling you all this? Why does this matter? Because there's a danger in your work for God that it will be your work for God and not your work surrendered to God. I think in my own life, there's a lot of the work that I do for the Lord that has nothing to do with the Lord. James and John spent years with Jesus. And they were still cocky and arrogant enough to ask Jesus. It's not even like they prayed for it, like some of the things we pray for. They asked Jesus to his face. How much did they not know the heart of God because they came to Jesus and said, let us destroy others. The important 
thing to do is to know the heart of God. The only way that we'll guarantee that we're working out this plan that God has called us, walking into these good works that he has prepared for us in advance, even the good works that you do today, tomorrow, next week, next month, you can't even claim those as your own. They were works that he prepared for you to walk into. So how important to you is it to know the heart of God? I mean, be honest. Like right now, no one is going to know if you're completely honest within yourself and go, it's not very important. And I see it because of this. If it is important to you, what are you doing to cultivate it? Because we see here in these two stories, the ones that didn't have the heart of God did dumb things for the Lord or wanted to do dumb things for the Lord. The other people who just humbly submitted and surrendered to what Jesus asked them to do, there was fruit out of that because that's it. I am the vine, you are the branches. Any man remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. The connection to the heart of the Father is where the fruit is comes from i listen to um i'm a big audible fan for those that struggle reading um like sitting down with a book it's worth every penny to be an audible subscriber they pay me nothing but if they do free books are great i listened to two books this week that i'm going to recommend i actually bought a paperback one i'm going to bribe my children to read it one way or the other uh, one of them uh, is a is a small book written by a six, 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. He gave his life to worship God in a monastery because he wanted to spend every moment he had dedicated to the heart of God. And he was frustrated because he had to do all these other things that weren't that. Like he was in, co- in charge of cooking and cleaning the kitchen. That was his job. And he struggled with the reality that I'm doing something uh, that isn't like spending time with the Lord. And this is a very small book. I think maybe even on Kindle you can get it for free. You can probably find a PDF of it somewhere. But these are letters that he wrote. This is a very humble person. Not a learned man, but his heart was to know God so much so that he learned. And this is the whole thing of practicing the presence of God. Anywhere you are, you can not invite because he's already there. You can acknowledge the presence of God, which will change every scenario. Imagine tomorrow at work, you just acknowledge, God, you're here. I'm thankful that in this moment, you're here with me in all of these scenarios. It's just a, it's a great idea if you want to know the heart of god you've got to be conscious of him always another book um, i'd recommend is called the hiding place released in 1971 it's the story of Corey ten boone um, she was a believer in holland um, during world war ii and they hid jews they loved jesus and they loved people They loved people so much so that it cost her father and her sister their lives. And I love that the father was 83 years old when he got arrested. 
And they wanted to let him go because he was an old man. They called him over there and they said, just tell us that you'll go home and you won't cause any more trouble and we'll let you go. He said, you let me out of here? He said, I will invite, I will welcome anybody into my house that needs help. He died 10 days later. For the grace of God. And Corey Timboon never married her and her sister, Betsy. I'm telling you, like, it will, it will rock you. Like, the, she, the sister was giving praise to God for fleas. For fleas. Because they were in concentration camps for years. Withering away. And Corey, I love her because she's more like me. The sister is like, we're going to praise God. for The Bible says praise God for everything. Fleas. Because they went into this new barrack and it was saturated with fleas. And you see the benefit of the fleas later on. I won't ruin the story for you. But in the moment, Corey's like, I don't want to thank God for fleas. I would pray God that he'll remove the fleas. But it's important to cultivate the heart. And the one thing that you'll see in Corey Ten Boom's life, even after the fact, she lived until she was 91. She went around telling about the love of God. And her sister had this quote, which I loved, and I'm going to misquote it because I didn't write it down on my notes. But she was talking about this depth, this pit that they were in. She said, there's no pit so low that the love of God cannot encounter someone in it. And they hid this Bible, which they would get in. They were already in lots of trouble. They would get their food taken away and all these other things. They hid this Bible. And her sister's main goal for being there, and she wanted to stay in, was that she could proclaim the good news to not only the people that were imprisoned with her, but the guards. You want to see someone that knows the heart of God? Because that's where we're at. And I, I'm, I'm, I read books like that, especially dealing with the Holocaust, and I get so angry. Not a righteous anger. Like a, an anger where I want to destroy because of what they did. And, and I, I think in my mind, good believers, good God-fearing people, let this happen. But then you read stories of people that didn't have power or influence, who risked everything for people they didn't even know. People that weren't even in their little sect, their little Christian bubble. Because they loved people. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. I want you to know God so that you can know His heart, so that you can Live your life with a purpose that will echo past this moment. Not to quote gladiator, but what we do in this life will echo into eternity. Gladiator. It's truth. If you don't know the heart of God right now, maybe you're like, I've been in and around church and I just... I don't know. I don't know how to follow. I don't know how to do anything. Ask. Ask. If you're struggling with it as a believer going, I don't feel that my heart is very connected to the heart of God and I want that, ask. 
Because I believe that God wants to soften hearts today because he needs us. He needs you because people will see him in you. People will be ready for him through you when you surrender yourself to him in every single moment. And so what I'd like to do is I want to pray. I want to pray for you and for me that we would be willing to confess what we're not and ask God to fill us with what we need. Because our country is broken. Our world is broken. Just look at me. Look at so many people that are hurting and longing and they're trying everything they can to feel validated, to feel whole, to feel like there's something of value. And they need Jesus. They need the gospel. And their way to the gospel is you. And I want us to be a church that isn't flashy, isn't perfect, but I want us to be a church that is after the heart of God. If you want that, then ask for it. What the widow do? She kept asking. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, like it's, there's not a little soft prayer like, hey, Jesus, I want the heart of God. Ask for it. Continue to ask for it. Continue to knock. And say, God, I, I need you. Continue to repent. Continue to say, God, I am desperate for you. Let's pray. God, you know what we need. And we need something radical. sit beside the Father praying and interceding for us I pray now that you would send afresh your Holy Spirit on all those that desire to know the heart of God Lord as we sit here as we worship Lord I let I pray that our 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 heart would be asking for more of you that you would connect us to the heart of God Lord, I ask right now that you would forgive us for being James and John. Forgive us when our minds are set on destruction. But Lord, I pray that you would soften us. That you would forgive us of our sin nature that we are so familiar with. And I pray as we literally lay it before you, our, our, our flesh, our sin nature, that we sometimes let control us. Lord, I pray that you would show us the power and authority that you give your children. Lord, you've given us everything that we need to live a godly life. Help us surrender to that reality. And I pray that you change our hearts as we submit and surrender to you. Let us be aware of your presence everywhere. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
would constantly be reminding us of your goodness. Constantly reminding us of our need and desperation for you. Lord, we need you. We need your heart. Lord, we need your truth. Let us walk out of this room today eagerly desiring to be your tool. Lord, let us, like the disciples, look out and see the harvest is white, ready. Lord, I pray that we would be the laborers to collect the harvest that you are right now preparing for you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you're willing to forgive, willing to restore. Let us be humble people that choose you over any means. We pray these things in Jesus' name.